Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Uh, me. Jamie. Alien. Oh, yes. come yes. on. Oh, no. uh, oh, that is my favourite one. <laughs> I, was, I was like, did my mic just like, go? Oh. Like, All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the one. Great. I'll be back. You Here's Johnny. You're a wizard. Call me Mr. Tibbs. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Well, good movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some bumps along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by someone who is often the narrator of our stories here on Well Good Movies, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. He gazed into the camera lovingly, as if to say, please don't hit me, Craig. <laughs> Craig looked back in dismay and thought, no. I thought you were, like, describing what you were doing. <laughs> no. And then you said, oh, hoping the Craig wouldn't hit him. I was like, oh, right, he's not talking about himself. <laughs> I mean... That could have been a conversation in the mirror. I mean, like, if we want to go psychological on this episode, sure. I'm not sure if the Paddington episode is where we necessarily want to delve into my <laughs> psyche. But yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, Craig is Homelander. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, funny we were mentioning stories and tales, because I'm sure you got quite the tale of uh, how you attempted to get to today's episode. Yeah. I wasn't sure if, uh, if we'd get you today or not. Yeah, so I was meant to be with you in Chepstow uh, for this episode, because you are kindly taking me to the airport later so I can fly out to Croatia for my holiday. Unfortunately, the... And... I don't know if we want to have a policy of, you know, not necessarily bad-mouthing companies, but I'm going to waive it for this episode to say, National Express, I booked a bus with you that didn't exist. Why did you sell me a bus ticket? And then covertly go, by the way, this is for yesterday. And then I only find out when I turn up at the bus stop today, having to, to carry like several heavy bags, including an entire crate worth of Ribena, just so I then have to come home to record this episode remotely and then I'm going to have to drive to Chepstow later so that David can take me to the airport still. For those saying, why don't I drive uh, drive myself to the airport now that I have to use the car? Bite me. And we should also say solidarity with uh, transport workers at the moment, despite this, I'm sure. you know. Yeah, that yeah was, transport workers, fine. The company National Express, suck it. <laughs> and also, Craig... You know, on a bit of a sadder note, we're talking about stories and we're talking about a, you know, a children's property today. And uh, sadly, you know, the man who helped give us uh, the Wombles, Bernard Cribbins, has uh, passed away, who we were only talking about recently uh, in Frenzy. Yeah, so, God, this feels like such a mood whiplash. Yeah, no, it was a genuine 
genuine heartbreak. And especially, as you said to me as well, but considering that he was rumored to be involved in the like the upcoming sort of anniversary for Doctor Who as well as the as the lovable Wilf. Um, this is such a big blow and just. Yeah, and it, it, it was a sucky way to start the day, to be honest, um, especially considering that just like in in all of the properties that I've seen him in, I've, I've deeply enjoyed his work, even even in Frenzy, as much as I did not like that film, I enjoyed his character and just listening to him say things that I never thought a, a guy like that would say. Um, but yeah, he's he's a great man and he will be missed. Yeah, and obviously we often you know like to bring up actors when you know they're sadly taken away from us. Uh, ones that we you know have a big part of uh, our movie watching and television experiences. But it's worth pointing out as well. This has come just after David Warner, uh, Paul Savino, which a lot of people have been talking about as well. So I know we don't always get to mention um, a lot of the fantastic actors and people in the industry that you know sadly pass away. Um, but it did seem you know fitting to mention them. As well, also another one which I had seen was um, Shonka Dekura, who was actually somebody who was just in the Elvis movie, uh, which was one of the singers, like a debut role um, after being in like, you know, things like the performing arts and singing uh, industry for quite a long time. And then, yeah, tragically passed away just after that as released. So, uh, yeah, there's been quite a few sad passings recently and uh, we'll miss them all. Editing Dave here, uh, just to also add to this tribute... Uh, Nichelle Nichols of Star Trek, who sadly passed away since uh, recording this episode, and uh, Olivia Newton-John, which just happened today. So definitely two amazing women who are also thought of highly and are remembered in this tribute. But, you know, today we're going to be carrying on uh, discussing uh, all of the films that uh, have been suggested to us uh, up till now so craig as we alluded to there at the beginning we talk about movies well worth watching despite bumps along the way so just to tease the audience at home do you think today's movie is a bump in the road or well worth watching as much as i feel like i am a jaded adult i've got to say i do think this film is worth watching even if my original viewing experience which i think david is going to potentially bring up later um might not have been the ideal way of introducing me to this film. I think our previous guest, Niall, would just ring in and <laughs> and ask you to tell our story, even if I didn't. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure we will get to that. And I'm sure many people, if you didn't say that, Craig would be hunting you down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for anybody who didn't catch our last episode, Craig, uh, can you just recap us on uh, what we're watching and what led us to talk about this film today? Yep, so in a rare turn of events, uh, we had our very first instance of the winner of the Endgame actually choosing to watch the film suggested by the losing participant. So, in an Endgame, all about see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, uh, talking specifically about uh, deaf, mute and blind characters within movies, uh, Katie came out on top and decided to opt for uh, the choices brought by Reese which ended up being Paddington and Paddington 2. So for those who are unaware, because uh, this episode will be happening before our month break, just so that we can recharge our batteries, go and enjoy our summer holidays, etc. We decided that we wanted to have a film and its sequel. So So the next episode, which will be introducing us back from the break, will be Paddington 2. But for this week, we will be discussing Paddington. 
Indeed, we shall. We shall be talking about Paddington from 2014 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into our movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. And I will soon find out uh, what myself and our guests think of this film, along with Craig. Uh, but before we get to that discussion, uh, let's introduce our two guests today. Uh, the first joined us all the way back at the start of the year as we kicked off this chain of movies. It's film director Rob Ailing. Hello, Rob. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I'm surprised you didn't say hello there. <laughs> <laughs> hello there. Uh, yes. No, no. I, I feel like we were all kind of Star wars out at the moment. Uh, wait until next year when we get to Celebration. Like, everybody will be saying hello there. Hello there. Very hello true. Hello there. But then you like, did have that uh, interaction with that dog the other day, which I found oh, hilarious. Oh, that was... That <laughs> That was remarkable i mean it was as you said it was quite possibly quite fitting for this uh, in a way probably the most british thing that i've ever done uh to to see a dog's head poking through a cat flap and barking at me and i just simply say hello there and and walk along move along so and it's, it's yeah. just the way it but it's just like it's a typical you know dog in a house kind of you know whoa <laughs> it's, just yeah. not, it's not aggressive it's not you know they're like kind no. of Mm, I don't trust you. And then you probably would walk up to them and they'd be fine. It but was uh, either that or his way of saying help, you know, because his head was fully stuck in that cat flap as well. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think yeah. it was more, uh, this is my seeing window. I hope to think, <laughs> and like, this is where I see the potential, you know, <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Right, where I see the postman, etc. So, and also last time, you, you know, you did the time you were so like, Oh, hello, David. So, you know, oh, I, hi, you David. know <laughs> so you can just have a chain of, different movie greetings every time you come on if if you want to oh, i'll try and remember to do that for next time i'm just trying to think what i could do for next time oh, i'll have a think i'll have a think it's funny you actually said about that that was the most british thing i'd ever seen potentially since rob i might have challenged that now in which earlier today i was at a works barbecue party thing for somebody's birthday and after i left my colleague sent me this photo in which is like this is worse descended to and it's a picture of like uh, our like lady who does the accounts holding a tortoise while looked at by two of my colleagues one of them wearing one of those t-shirts in which it's like ripped but instead of having like abs he has like female like boobs <laughs> and then in the background in the background is like this very nice looking british garden and two people doing karaoke <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else is holding like wine glasses and stuff like that so very british scene right there but uh rob you've also been uh busy i don't know if you've been to many barbecues but you've been breaking, <laughs> you've been breaking records you've been you've been doing all sorts so so what, what have you been up to that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you've been breaking records. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. casually breaking records. Um, uh, I mean, sort of, um, but not not entirely false. At helping the same time, to break, helping to break, records. helping to break. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah no, I've been in, uh, insanely busy. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Um, uh, I've been working on my feature debut, but I've also. Uh, been working on other projects here and there as well. New short film, new screenplay that I've written. A new, um, despite me saying I wouldn't do one again, I ended up writing a new Batman screenplay, um, which is now doing the works in the festival circuit, which is um, really cool. But yeah, as you were referring to with the quote-unquote record breaking, um, I made my uh, feature directing debut this year with The Impact, which is a sci-fi fantasy drama film involving. 
over 40 screenwriters and over 30 directors and I am one of the 30 directors and we have broken the world record for the amount of screenwriters and directors involved in a feature film so I am technically a world record holder which is such a bizarre thing to say and is definitely going on my business card once I get new business oh, congratulations. cards um and yeah thank you very much um and then the only other thing that's happening which is kind of exciting is me directing rope um uh Patrick Hamilton's rope which of course was infamously brought um to the screen by uh Alfred Hitchcock so you know it's all very very busy time for me and um yeah that's with the um Horses Head Theatre and we perform in October so um love it for you guys to come down as well um to have a watch yeah definitely like I said we've uh we've delved into Hitchcock recently as well so it was uh, nicely timed in that and it definitely again as evident in the film's history etc be very interesting to see on stage see what rob does you know i don't know if he can give us any teasers or anything like that but yeah we uh, you know i'll I'll take it uh you know i i want to take it to a, a new level where you're playing with the expectations of what's already there for the audience because it's quite a well-known play as it is um and of course many people know the hitchcock movie although um funny enough i know a lot of people that haven't seen the hitchcock film which i think is a, a really decent film match if i'm honest um but yeah I, I like to think i'm gonna bring another level of gravitas definitely more color to the screen um to the stage sorry and um yeah bring some modern philosophy to the stage is a good way of putting it i just it. want to see how you replicate hitchcock's technique of randomly zoom into object and then zoom out again uh to transfer over the film reel <laughs> Well, I got an easy answer for that. You just put a door in the background with the cat flap and have a dog <laughs> pop Amazing. through. Every, that, you know, that's modern modern adaptation right there. Game full circle. So, uh, yeah, well, thank you for joining us today, Rob. Uh, we look forward to discussing Paddington with you uh, later on. And I, I find it quite funny how, like last time, you know, and, and potentially through the progress of this year you know we're like oh we'll have rob back you know award-winning filmmaker potentially talking about award-winning films and then it's like no it's all about paddington <laughs> also joining us uh, today is another new guest on the podcast uh, making his debut uh, he is uh, a filmmaker also and also a lecturer as well as many other talents it is jamie milligan hello jamie Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. No Long problem. time listener, first time caller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, especially to be on to talk about Paddington, which is uh, super, super exciting. And another one of those like great coincidences, which we've had so many times in which, like I've said to the upcoming guests, like, oh, we're talking about this. They're like, I love that film. This is my favorite, etc. And then you had a Paddington cover photo on Twitter. So it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, based on the uh, the guy who is photoshopping Paddington into a whole range of films. So I have currently it's uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. But I've also <laughs> had the final shot from Seventh Seal, which is like the most powerful shot in cinema for me and then just having Paddington holding hands with them is just uh chef's kiss <laughs> really really great so yeah so this is this is exciting I'm I'm always amazed like how seamlessly he's able to add him in sometimes it's not even just like oh he just doesn't look like he belongs there often you are like was that in the film yeah <laughs> it, it, lo it looks so you know accurate to actually the scene he, he fit, 
fits well. <laughs> but in terms of yourself, Jamie, just tell us about yourself. What is it you do? Uh, what are your sort of links to to the world of film? And uh, yeah, what what led you know you've obviously done uh, podcasting yourself as well. So uh, yeah, just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a bit of a lapsed podcaster. I started my podcast, the work experience one, after being slightly high after an operation and talking to a nurse who said that she retrained at the age of 40. And I thought, flipping heck, yeah, I can do that. So went home, signed up to um, Open University and the morphine wore off. And I thought, no, I'll do a podcast. That will help the world even more than an extra nurse. So uh, then started doing that and just talking to people about their jobs, because when we get to a certain age, we can't really do work experience. We kind of have to quit our job and start again. And it's quite scary. So just having people come on and talk about how they got into it and what a day to day is. It was really interesting kind of doing it. And people are always really happy to talk about their jobs, even when they don't think that they'd be good on a podcast. And then, um, yeah, like Rob, um, filmmaker as well. And I uh, teach film and animation down in Bournemouth. And um, yeah, just working on my trying to get my first feature made. Just not a, uh, a Guinness World Record holder, though. That's the thing. So I need to now do a film with 31 right, uh, directors and 41 writers. Maybe that's the uh, just out of spite almost, I guess I could say. <laughs> there's there's connections forming here. Maybe Rob will return, break another record. Maybe, you know, maybe you can talk about his work experience at the same time it, it, it can all come together after this podcast <laughs> perfect well it's nice to get the uh, microphone out of the cupboard so um just getting the dust off it now yeah and obviously everyone at home go check out the work experience podcast but in terms of your uh sort of links to film and you know what what sort of genres are there any particular ones that you sort of prefer you know what are some of your favorite films are there anyone you know types of films or any sort of like areas of the industry you prefer to chat about <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's quite a broad church. Like, I'll, I'll watch just anything because I think with filmmaking, watching stuff is learning and you're kind of finding all these new bits. And again, it's what I tell the students, like you've got to watch stuff to make you good filmmakers. And then weirdly, they started following me on Letterboxd and I stupidly showed them one of my short films and then they went on there and rated it, which was nice, which is quite exciting. Uh, two and a half stars or three and a half which is the weirdest situation. But like for me, like last the last couple of films I've watched, went to see Elvis at the cinema, which is great. Then I watched The Happening or Happening on a movie and then Bergman Island last night as well. So Happening in Bergman Island are really my kind of cups of tea, like moving towards being more of a drama director. And my latest short is trying to get onto the festival circuit now, which is a kind of chamber piece of um, siblings. So um, yeah, no, it's kind of, just finding those and like favorite film wise it's always going to be like in bruges or lawrence of arabia midnight cowboy those kind of ones that like and yeah i just just love talking about films it's just really exciting to talk about one of my favorite films as well today so um yeah definitely uh far from lawrence of arabia and in bruges but like you said it's worthy of the same kind of accolades i think a lot of people would say so yeah awesome thank you for coming on jamie and we uh, look forward to discussing more with you throughout the episode so let's go now to our main discussion today which is all about paddington from 2014 directed by paul king 
the film is described as a young Peruvian bear travels to London in search of a home, finding himself lost and alone at Paddington Station. He meets the kindly Brown family who offer him a temporary haven. Uh, so we got obviously a great cast here in terms of like British stars, uh, in terms of like your, your bigger you know actors. You got Amelda Staunton, you got Michael Gambon, uh, Ben Whishaw, uh, Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, and then in terms of like the younger roles, we got Madeline Harris, uh, Samuel Jocelyn, and you also have uh, fun appearances from the likes of Matt Lucas, uh, Julie Walters, and uh, of course Peter Capaldi. Jim Broadbent also makes an appearance. Uh, apologies if there's anybody I didn't mention there, but yeah, great, great cast. Uh, also, Nicole Kidman is in here. Can't include her in obviously the British talent part, but uh, very fun as uh, the villain. And uh, yeah, this film has really sort of made an impact with people, probably more so since the sequel, but uh, we will sort of focus today on the original film, especially as the sequel will be coming up in this podcast uh, in the future. More details on that at the end of the episode, but Craig sort of alluded to it at the start there with our summer break. Um, but yeah, I think there I mentioned, you know, the director, Paul King. Uh, we've also mentioned about like how it's uh, from a, a children's story. Uh, this is from a, an original story which was called a bear called paddington in 1958 uh, the character was created by uh, michael bond uh, so he sort of originated in uh, children's literature um, a lot of people might know paddington then from books from tv shows etc yeah just knowing him from pop, pop culture i guess as well as he's just especially become such a big british icon we're looking at a character who has met the queen can we say that but has appeared alongside the queen and yeah it's just sort of become ingrained in terms of like seeing him as a part of you know souvenir shops in London and all that kind of stuff he's a big part of of British symbolism which is uh great as well uh so I guess we'll go on first to uh Paul King which I thought would be important to talk about as I mentioned you guys are both filmmakers and uh this is in some ways quite what you do what we are seeing quite a lot with uh directors in the industry today in terms of like their backgrounds coming from television or even comedy um so i thought it would be quite you know good to talk about him specifically as well first because last time we were talking about Guillermo del toro and how that important just his legacy and his sort of like influence have uh on his films and while somebody might not think immediately of paul king in the same way i think when you do revisit or when you watch paddington originally you can just see how much of his kind of aesthetic and his sensibilities are added to that film. Um, and I know, Jamie, you mentioned that you were a big fan of him uh, when studying and stuff uh, because of uh, Bunny and the Bull. So what, what was your experience there with him before Paddington? Yeah, I mean, I kind of missed The Mighty Boosh, which he directed like episodes of as well. I don't know if he directed the whole series or a lot of it, but... Yeah, going to see um, Bunny and the Bull at the cinema and that kind of handmade approach to everything, those kind of lo-fi effects, just was really appealing to me when you're trying to make films for no budget and stuff like that. And seeing where he's kind of gone onto now, of just capturing imaginations with his kind of style and his approach to filmmaking has been really kind of inspiring. And um, yeah, Bunny and the Bull is just such a great film if people haven't seen it. So it's um, Simon Farnaby and Edward Hogg, these two two friends who one of them passes away and the other goes on a, 
um, around the world trip, I want to say, but he doesn't leave his house. So it's all recreated within the flat and all these just really cool little crafted effects and everything. Yeah, I, I really implore you all to go see it. I've not seen it for quite a while, but it really made a mark on me. And Simon Farnaby is in Paddington as well, I believe, actually, isn't he? Yeah, and a co-writer on the second one. But we we don't talk about the second one no. today. <laughs> it's the first one. It's like uh, we don't talk about Bruno there. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, as I said, that there's many directors, etc., which have a similar story already. You know, if we look at some of the biggest films, I mean, we got, especially at the moment, you've got Taika Waititi, which in some ways has had like a similar journey, maybe Peter Jackson almost, um, the Russo brothers, where they were sort of directing episodes of Community. So that's why he reminds me of that kind of like, you know, same trend of directors that come from comedy and quite specific, like comedy, ones with very specific senses of humor and style um, and the ways that they even directed, you know, and I, and I really appreciate that and respect it because I think, you know, having worked on like comedy stuff before, I think that there is something to say about the way that people who work on comedy kind of see the world or understand like how cinematic something could be or how a story can be told. I think even when, you know, definitely Craig will agree with this, even when you're doing something like a sketch, there kind of has to be that, you know, beginning, middle and end, or there needs to be some sort of progression. So I think people quite often just disregard um, sort of comedians, you know, that that in itself is, is an art and a craft to it. But yeah, people who sort of tend to direct and write that kind of stuff do tend to then do very well Similar to, I guess, how like a lot of horror directors as well will like transition over to like blockbusters and stuff like that. So I was very interested to actually find out that like, oh, wow, he did The Mighty Boosh and, you know, he did uh, Come Fly With Me, which I know hasn't aged all that well in terms of uh, some of the jokes. It explained a bit more about why Matt Lucas was in this film, but I always appreciated a lot of the writing of that show and a lot of the jokes that, that were in there. So, yeah, I'm glad that, you know, he's doing well. And the fact that He's uh, directing Wonka as well. I was like, oh, wow, I am way more interested in this film now because as somebody who's like, you know, been hit and miss with the kind of adaptations of that book, you know, I was kind of interested in like, oh, it's Timothy Chalamet and I think there was production photos and they were like in the snow. I was like, okay, maybe they're kind of replicating some of the Tim Burton stuff. But okay, this is the guy I think who can tell this story, actually. I think that that's a, you know, really genius choice. Uh, Rob, do you have any specific experience with Paul King before Paddington or... Any thoughts with what, what I was saying there about the kind of like comedy or series directors go into bigger projects? I will say that actually I think it's a bit of a risk in many ways to have um, him direct um, this kind of film, especially quote unquote a children's film, um, because, you know, his comedy and especially the, the the stuff he directed before. I haven't seen the film that you mentioned, by the way, but it sounds fantastic. So I'm definitely adding it to the watch list. And... Um, but yeah, things like The Mighty Boosh and Come Fly With Me, they're all quite outlandish in their own way. And then you compare this to what we have with Paddington. I know we're going to go into further detail with this, but it's quite outlandish in its own way, but it's very much a toned down kind of more children's accessibility to comedy. Let's just put it that way. It's a much more toned... Like, there are some, like, obviously some wonderful inside gags here and there, which again, we'll get into... But I would say it's actually a really brave kind of risk on. Studio um, Canal, is it? I was I was going to say David Haben actually yeah. on his part to say, do you know what this is our guy? And you know clearly he was a fan of his work as well, and he thought you know maybe the two and two can come together. And of course, 
it helps that David Heyman is a fairly well-known producer anyway. So, you know, if you're on board, you know, a David Heyman production, then more and more people are going to come in uh, on board with it anyway. But I think, yeah, there's um, there's a level of sensitivity, which I was really surprised about, um, that Paul King was able to, to, to bring uh, to Paddington. And I think that was the thing that surprised me the most. And again... The sequel, which we shall not speak of yet, um, you know, pushes that even further. And again, I think it's really commendable that they chose quite an unexpected choice because uh, I think many people, especially even maybe even David Heyman, he probably would have thought, well, maybe someone like um, oh the guy who does the Harry Potter films, David Yates, someone like David Yates to come in and go, oh yeah, we'll just bring him to come in, you know, because we're pals kind of thing, you know. Whereas no, I think they went with a. Uh, a very wise choice, I think, in the end. Yeah, and I think that, like you said, it is a risk because I think that we've seen that go one of two ways in the past. And I think obviously, again, you know, talking about like bigger films and stuff, but especially with Marvel, I think some of that VFX sort of commotion that we've had recently, people have been saying about like inexperienced directors, it just in terms of inexperience of working with VFX. Um, so I guess that's some of the dangers that they have in terms of having new directors you know, I would say just, well, just train them up on that more, maybe help them out a bit more. But, you know, that's a different topic. But, but, um, I, but I think with like the Marvel, sorry to jump in, but no, like no, the no. Marvel ones, they're, they're bringing in these indie directors who mm. aren't action directors. Yeah, exactly. So then that's why the films, kind of, you know, they do great character work and then it all kind of falls down when it has to become a smorgasbord of, of action. And that's not, you know, you want someone who's like a Tony Scott directing you know that would have been great a tony scott marvel film i think that's why it worked out with the russos because there was almost an element of action and stuff to the stuff they were already doing and they kind of like understand that world a bit more so i think yeah you, you know you're right it needs to be very specific in the ones you choose and i think that again you look at things like lord and miller they were chucked off of solo and i think that you look at uh like pirates of the caribbean there was sort of like more indie directors came in towards the end with that and that didn't quite work out again because it's just like you said there people who are concerned in story and character but maybe just being pushed aside for you know what the studio wants etc um but i think it's always impressive when that filmmaker can then still get through their vision or their style through to that that project which i think we've seen with things you know people like taika watiti sam raimi to an extent possibly i'd say uh, ryan coogler as well Oh yeah, I think Ryan yeah. Coogler is a perfect example of being able to get his vision and trademark as well. There's that wonderful one take sequence as well in the I, I call it the James Bond scene because it's basically the James Bond moment where they go to a casino and it all kicks off. Um, but it's all done in one glorious take, and I just think it's really nicely done. But um, yeah, you make a really good point, Jamie, about the um, the it's not uh, yeah the 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 experience of a director coming in who may not have the experience of directing action like and first of all tony scott directing a marvel movie absolutely i'm also holding out for george miller to do a dc movie one day that's another fingers crossed right there um but the the, the it can still be done like you can have directors come in who haven't had that experience and you know i think uh, is it tom watts who directed the spider-man movies um you know no little to no experience of action direction at all but yet was able to pull off a reasonably good set of spider-man movies i went to the paddington exhibition at the um 
British Museum, uh, British Library uh, earlier this year. And you could just see how important it has been over that. It was like, what, 58, you said it was first like published or thereabouts and how many different iterations of it and how every generation now has a new Paddington. So like the stop motion one you were chatting about. And I remember when I was a kid, there was a, um, a hand-drawn animated one as well. And now they've got the film and the Nickelodeon series, which has got Ben Whishaw as the voice of as well. So there's so many different versions, which is, and, you know, in like 40 years time, those kids will be using that as their kind of reference of going back and saying, oh, what gives me that nostalgia, that that feeling? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When you think of something then like Paddington, it's just very different to American kind of children's media etc and just how that's so specific to british culture you definitely couldn't do that as they do with paddington here right by adapting those other kind of stories you know i'm not sure if like Bagpuss would like translate well into like a major film but i think pad paddington proves that it can be done with this character well they've tried it with postman pat haven't they where they took yeah. it on to like x factor or something so i, was thinking that. I would also like to point out where because for me, that sort of the show that gave me that sort of feeling was Thomas the Tank Engine, um, and obviously they had their sort of Hollywood adaptation, which just completely just screws with the law, and it's no longer like a little island off the coast of Britain where they send sick islands to crew the finest place for engines. No, it's in a magical dimension for like from accessed via like some like weird pixie dust and there are flowers there are telephones and just there's a miniature Alec Baldwin like walking around for some damn reason I also the other show as well that sort of made me think about this and in a sort of angry way was the magic roundabout because that also had like a massively animated we're just going to turn everything off the rails and for some reason Dougal the dog is going to be voiced by Robbie Williams like (laughs) they they just take what are meant to be sort of like simple characters. And if you put them through like a Hollywood model, just to go, right, what's the most outlandish sort of actiony thing we can get them to do? And just ignore the idea of simplistic charm. I think that's one of the reasons that I think Paddington actually does quite well. Because even though the villain and their schemes are quite out there and anti what the show necessarily is, the actual vibe that everything else in the film does actually represents the spirit of Paddington quite well, including in a relatively important area that I might discuss later if it naturally comes up. Yeah, and I think the casting as well will come up uh, and that why that's important. As you said, where Magic Roundabout is very jarring. And I think back to the fact that even, you know, they did it just for the effect of like Ian McKellen does Zebedee. And, you know, I don't know if it was it like Ben Kingsley or something was... Uh, zebba bad or whatever the anti zebedee is and just the goofiness of all of that you know it just doesn't quite work and and you need that you know i think that's why i was skeptical before panton came out was the you know it's again like taking something that's so traditionally seen in like animation or stop motion etc and as you mentioned jamie it just didn't work for postman pat you know when i think of that show that is definitely one that's like that kind of clangers bagpuss kind of feel of like just literally i can feel the like oh my god you know, remember being like a kid and like just the theme song and it's just you know the toy post you know post van and the little bushes that they're like driving past and all of that kind of thing the little animals and stuff is is so like ingrained into my brain and like my childhood and then just to do this like generic cg kind of remake with helicopters and the x-factor for some reason it's just they completely lost the point of the character and 
And that's what I was thinking of in terms of like American versions. I don't know if they could come up with better versions than me, but definitely before Paddington, I was just getting very bad vibes of, you know, Yogi Bear and the Smurfs and stuff, which just, again, I think that this film is almost like the anti-version of those, which is just like, you don't modernize it. You keep what is like cozy and traditional and good about that story, not go like, let's put this character in the modern world and this make them hip and funny and cool. And I just think, you know, that's why I hated those films of what they like. And I don't know if they, they must have just kept making money, but then they never carried on. Sometimes they would have sequels. But, you know, ultimately, I think people just accepted that, like, no, these are just trash. You know, it's, it's just not even respecting what they originally were. I mean, my big thing, my big fear for Paddington because of that, um, I don't know how many people will feel about this, but my introduction to this film was literally like this sort of teaser sort of trailer which was just the scene in the bathroom and that i think gave me big vibes of just oh no are you just expecting this character to do too much you're just doing the sort of like stereotypical oh animal doesn't know people things and it just does things in stupid ways um so yeah that was a that was a rough start um for expecting people to sort of be like okay this is this is what paddington actually is and then it became a, a real kind of meme on the internet of that first full full body shot of um paddington and people putting him into horror film um screen grabs and one of him just covered in blood and it was because there was something again it obviously it's not uncanny valley with paddington because he's not a person and he looks but there was something about it that just looked very kind of terrifying. And I think with the original casting as well for his voice, which I think we're going to touch on later, it wouldn't, the the charm maybe wouldn't have been there. And I love, and I love, love, love the, um, the original actor, but I think where they went in this direction just made it just work. But again, like it was very kind of nerve wracking because, you could see it just going badly. But I think like you were saying, David, where it's a, a different world, it's a it's a world out of step. And I think that's why people like this film. It's not it's not London as London actually is. You know, it's a very romanticized point. But although that touches on one of the problems of the first film is that there there weren't there wasn't a lot of black representation in those areas, which you know it, it starts to idealize what London is in an old-fashioned kind of world, which they do address in the, the second film, which we do not talk about, right, which is Paddington 2 Fight Club. There's just something very kind of romanticised about that world and London, which I think really translates globally. Yeah, it, it is somewhat problematic at times as well. Speaking as a Londoner myself, um, you know, uh, it was, um, I remember first watching Paddington and thinking, you're in for a a rough ride, mate, if you really think it's going to be like all bells and whistles. Um, And then there's that wonderful moment when he's off the train and everyone is just blanking him and ignoring him and rushing past him because, yeah, man, that's London life for you. But yeah, it's a very heightened reality of, of Britain and London and I think, as you were referring to, it's ultimately the British charm, I think, that carries it through. And I think that's what Paddington invokes the most, is it is um, 50 plus years of uh, British culture, or more than that, actually. It's, you know, it's um, in a nutshell. And to see that unfold in this pop-saturated film is, uh, is a delight. 
yeah, what you mentioned there about like London, etc. Like ironically, I think one of my last trips to London, which was arriving in Paddington Station, and as the train arrived, it was like this, you know, it was like one of the last trains of the day or something. So loads of people coming off and walking down that like strip platform. And there was like a homeless person right in the middle. And I don't know how they get it, got it because obviously you have to go through like gates and stuff. And he might have even been holding a dog or something. But people just literally all like just creating this circle around him, just like no room, just bar that person. And I remember just thinking, wow, that just represents like London or life at the moment. Just literally like everyone just like walking around this person. Obviously, that's, you know, a very sort of serious subject but to talk what you were saying there rob about how paddington sort of like gets around that is that there's also that element of addressing kind of history there's you know the the child's tag element you know talking about the war people you know like so going back to britain's kind of like some of the strengths and the great things that we've done it, it heralds back to that i guess a lot of people love him as a kind of like immigrant uh story for for the character and i guess that you know, as we might go into later, there are those touches of then the soundtrack and like a lot of the characters who are used throughout this, which are kind of trying to like reflect that kind of part of the world in which he's coming from in terms of like, you know, Peru, etc. So I think that, you know, there's good attempts made there, which uh, obviously would be then enhanced, as you said, Jamie, in this film that almost seems as if like it's the last airbender of Hollywood in which we're like, we don't talk about Paddington 2, but we're not talking about it just purely because we're talking about Paddington 1. And that's the thing, like every character has their arc, has, has, whereas, you know, like the Yogi Bear film, there, there wasn't really What's much. What's the arc? Was, yeah, like, so giving, giving the actors the onus to embrace these characters, and, you know, that comes back to Paul King, writer-director on this and having the source material of, source material of Michael Bond and you could, you can see that they, they totally buy into the fact that, that there is a bear bear like a three-foot bear and when they have to describe him to the police later on in the film and it's like well it's not much to go on and it's uh i oh, get yeah, it's just so good and all these little gags like the bear left gag and all that there's just so much heart to it and i think that's the thing and this plethora of british actors you've got like matt king in there super hands <laughs> playing it. but everyone plays it you know plays it real and that's that's what's great about it can i just say of course he had to play the thief of all the people he had to play, of course he's the thief in all of this. Um, I was going to just mention like what sells it to me the most, and I think this is probably when I started to kind of fall in love with the film, was when you have him call up his home insurance cover uh, and tell them that the, he's got a bear in the house for the night and how much is he covered for. I just think that's... I mean, we were talking earlier about what's the most British thing possible. I think that's probably one of the most British things I can think of is when calling he says, up his... Uh, Grizzly? <laughs> Well, yeah. I've not seen him in the morning. Like, oh, oh, so good. I do also find it impressive just how much work that they're willing to put in in terms of just creating such an elaborate setup for just a simple joke. So one of my favorite jokes is obviously the um, in 100 yards, bare left. Um, and just how much they had to just engineer that situation just to have that, as well as the Shakespeare exit pursuit, uh, pursued by a Paddington. What? No, Paddington. Um, yeah, but also, as you say, I think, I think some of the like loving charm. Also, my favorite line of the film, I don't know why, is literally one of the first times we see uh, Mr. Brown, Hugh Bonneville, and he's just right. Everyone, keep your head down. There appears to be some sort of bear over there, and just how everyone is so nonchalant about this bear. And nobody is literally going, "Oh my God, we're gonna die." There's a 
beer on the loose. Everyone's just like, oh, bloody beer. Just No, my favorite bit of that is he's probably trying to sell something. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just that to me, it kind of, that's, I think, what is a part of the charm. And I think what you mentioned there, Craig, is the like, why is nobody mentioning this? It's kind of like the Muppets to me, that nobody ever is just like, oh, there's this like felt character in front of me. There's this like frog in front of me. And it's not like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or even, you know, Chippendale as a recent example in which it's clear that they inhabit this world and they are like thriving and everywhere. It's the fact that they're like very subtly and a part of the world. So it's almost as if Paddington is setting up the like, oh yeah, there's a bear here. We don't see any other bears or animals walking around. So it's again in the light touches that this kind of, as we were talking about with that storybook effect or that animation effect, you can't just buy into it. You're just like, yeah, sure. Because we're in this world, we're in this other dimension, etc., in which that is acceptable. And I guess it kind of speaks to our sensibilities that you were like, you know what? I would want to live in a world in which people could just nonchalantly walk past a bear and not question it or not be scared, etc. I think it kind of speaks to the, you know, optimist in, in all of us kind of aspect. But um, yeah, that, that, that did make me laugh as well. Just the, the way they had to like rush past him and even just the small touches. I think that's where early on you're getting an idea of his characters when you get again a very british thing the announcement of like please do not leave any belongings they will be like destroyed and then just like pandas response of oh dear <laughs> like it's just so like subtle and just concerned i love it with the uh the lost and found above his head it's oh just... yeah yeah also tell me did anyone else think that they would get to see a shot of a weather spoons in a kid's film that's how many times i've been to paddington station i just you just see that booth and i'm like that's a weather spoons why have you taken him to a weather spoons i think if you boil it down it there is something you know very post-brexit about it like you know it's it's that glimmer of hope that we want of someone being able to come to this country and to thrive which is you know what we're told is the absolute worst that could happen and it just came out at the right time is it 2014 that it came out so when was the the um the brexit vote 2015 2016 that was when it was all starting to ramp up and you, you were seeing the jokes on uh online after the um after the platitudes where paddington's having tea with the queen and they were saying if it was, you know, if it was a person, they'd be deported to Rwanda. And it was, but there's there's just something so, you know, Paddington is what immigration should be. You know, it's, it's you know, we open our arms to people to come come to this country. And that's, you know, what, what that film is showing, that we don't just turn people away, regardless of what our government is saying. And I think that's that's what I really just took from the film. There's just, you know, it's about family and just just trying to fit in and anyone can come here and make make it success. They're not written off because of where they were born. Um yeah, they got quite deep. But yeah, I think that's that's, you know, and again, like the fact that that's coming through a children's film, you know, that's perfect. Like that's what it that's how we get these messages across that we we're not just an island. You know, we're all sharing the same experience. That's the thing. That's the that's the experience of Paddington that that a lot of people have had. So, 
um, I've seen several speeches in the past uh, of people actually talking about why people loving Paddington means that they should extend that love to anyone who's trying, who's basically just trying to come over um, and basically just, you know, like look to improve their lives. Uh, they sort of see like Paddington and the way that he's sort of accepted eventually as sort of like a beacon of hope. And I think it's a really, I think it's really important that we do have something like that. Um, Cause obviously we just get all of these, you know, horrific dark depictions yeah, let, not to get too political, Craig, um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just all the all the awful things that are said. And then you just literally have like a bear who's just I just genuinely I just genuinely want a home. And I I've heard good things about you people It's enough to bring a tear to an eye, if anything. Um, but I'm not going to do that because I'm strong. But yeah, I just I completely agree with you, Jamie. And I think that is just what society should be. And this is why I said earlier, like, because um, I often have to have this conversation with like a lot of people about children's media. The reason I get so jaded against a lot of it is because a lot of it is just trying to peddle actual like absolute crap ideals to me and just be like filler for children. And then you get something like Paddington, which is just actually we can have a sort of serious message whilst also having the sort of, you know, whimsical stuff for the children and all of the elaborate set pieces to make them go like ha 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 that was that was funny and this is this is why this is where i'm willing to accept those things so people say that i'm too hard on children's films tell me i'm wrong tell me i'm wrong are you are you trying to say that the emoji film oh, no, we wasn't... Keep, keeping it british he was trying to say that the queen's corgi wasn't wasn't a masterpiece <laughs> oh you 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 have dodged the actual <laughs> film oh. that i've been targeting with that comment oh, okay you know what I was targeting with that comment specifically. Mm, there's just so many, actually. I <laughs> do I? No, but you you know it. The episode where that really came to a head. That sort of arguments. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Pudsy the dog. Of the movie. Of course, Pudsy yeah. the dog. The movie. <laughs> of course, Pudsy the dog. The movie. To go back anyway to what um, you were saying there, Craig, about the importance of children's stories. It goes to well. Again, we were saying with things like the Wombles and, uh, you know, other children's media is the Wombles was about like picking up litter, you know, and like keeping London tidy and stuff like that is, you know, so when people are just like, oh, they're trying to put this message in there, they're trying to do this. I think that's that what works about Paddington is that there's an extra layer to, to it. And it's not just like, oh, it's like to me, like something like Captain Planet was always a bit on the nose. But, you know, something like this has that duality to it in which it doesn't actually... So a lot of people would watch it and not realise the kind of message that it's, it's telling you. Um, and I think that, Jamie, it is right to bring up something like Brexit because I guess kind of at that time people were talking about how households were divided, you know, the young and the old. And I think there's something like Paddington brings people together as well is that those ideals of people who can appreciate they're like oh they're talking about the war and yeah what a great country we've been we've let people in and they're thinking about the good aspects in that sense but then it brings like young people in about being like well actually you know we're not that great in terms of what we're doing it's based on current policies etc but people can come together in terms of sort of having a mutual respect and just having obviously a cozy fun time with the movie which is you know just fun and has a lot of great comedic moments uh, in it rob do you have any sort of specific memories of like first watching this first coming across it yeah um i see this was so we were talking earlier about um examples of films where we'd be like oh i just don't know if this is gonna work because it's you know 
part of my childhood or, you know, it's part of this, that and the other, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm sad to say that I did miss this film in its cinema run and because I, it was one of those films where I just thought, I'll give it a pass. I'll, I'll wait until it comes to DVD and this and that. And it's one of those movies now which I completely regretted not seeing in the cinema because yet I go and watch the Pixar movies in the cinema. You know, I will gladly go and watch a Pixar movie or any form of, you know, kids movie. But for this one, I just thought, I don't, I just don't have a good feeling about this one. And my, 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 was I wrong about this? Um, so um, interesting little f- fact. Um, this isn't one of the facts I'm going to read later, by the way. But um, <laughs> I used to own a little duffel blue coat. Um, so very similar to the Paddington coat. Um, so when he gets his coat like... Um, I actually wrote on one of my notes here um, when he gets the origin of the duffel coat at 45 minutes in and I wrote in brackets like Batman Begins <laughs> how he gets the suit on for like halfway through the movie and that's that's a testament to the audience's um, level expectancies as well because you expect him to just be Paddington straight away but yet he's like I'm not going to do a bear cry I mean I'll, I'll probably butcher any bear cry right now but when he d- says what his name is and Mr. Brown tries to do the same. He says, oh, that is extremely rude. Um, I always laughed at that gag. And then, of course, you find the origin of, you know, obviously it's Paddington, so he's at Paddington Station. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the... I remember when I watched it and I was just completely gobsmacked by how smart it was. Like, the first opening ten minutes, I thought was incredibly brave to show... Um, the uncle dying and I just thought oh okay so we're gonna go there are we okay um yeah I just I I didn't expect that um it to come in the first within the first 10 minutes because it's a lot to 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 take in in the first 10 minutes for a especially for a young audience as well to be you know seeing history you know this charming like black and white movie thing and then it to um be almost like the scene in um Oh, what's it called? Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with the whole breakfast, you know, gadget thing. And again, it's part of, you know, almost like a James Bond effect thing. You've got it like breakfast being made from this artificial like tree thing. And it's just really charming to watch. And then all of a sudden the uncle dies and you're like, yeah, that that is what would happen in the in uh, there. So, yeah, it's pretty brutal. And again, Jamie, Craig, I completely are on board with you 100% about um Paddington themed in the idea of immigrants uh coming to the UK I I I totally buy that and I totally see that reading absolutely um but for me the one line that really struck with me is a home is more than a roof on your head and I think that is such a beautiful thing to teach children um because as you mentioned, like post-Brexit and stuff, we've become such a... We're no longer really, in many ways, a united kingdom. We're a divided kingdom. And to not be able to feel accepted is one thing, but it's it's more explosive now more than ever, that, that whole thing. And um, I just found it really astonishing that here's a film before all... Let's be honest, all of it kind of went downhill um, to actually have a reminder of us that, you know the home is what you make it to be and i just found that really really charming there's also another moment which i thought was incredibly meta and i don't know jamie if you agree or not but i just absolutely adored the moment when paddington is watching a movie 
and he goes into the movie and there's something really beautifully meta about that, the idea of you're watching a film within a film, but then he's transported into the world of this film, so it's almost bringing him back home. And again, it's just... I think it's just after you hear that line, or perhaps even before you hear that line of a home is more than a roof on your head. And it just... I just... Yeah. Like you, Craig, I could have teared up in that moment. I just thought it was so beautifully handled. But it comes back to film being a visual medium. And this is what what we forget. If you script writing, it's like, must put in all this dialogue, all this exposition, but you just show it. You just show something so simple. And that's why it translates to every generation because we all can just understand that and that and just by seeing it i think that's simplicity is key it's as it's difficult to make paddington as it is but you know those simple moments just speak so much more i also love how practical it is as well because that's the thing i was astonished by as well the fact that they're able to do both is remarkable in itself and is it fair to say rare now to that they do more practical effects um you know like i think obviously there's you know, Chris Nolan is very much still on the, the bandwagon of making it real and doing it live in person. Obviously, this is a completely different <laughs> scale of movie in that we'll regard. We'll all have but... to have our bomb shelters ready for Oppenheimer when he detonates. The <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I like to watch uh, Christopher Nolan films on my phone. <laughs> I know it really pees him off. No, no. Oh, mate, it's on the on Apple Watch, mate. That's what you want to do, <laughs> Apple Watch. I guess um, I need to download the entire movie, print screen every second of it, and then just send them to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was going to say the bathtub um, sequence, they, the fact that they actually had a bathtub going down, and just I just blown away by that fact. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Awful um, body double for uh, Hugh Bonneville in that shot. Like, mm. that, you'll rewatch it, freeze the frame. It looks nothing like him from behind. But also, what you guys were saying there about you know how you reflect those stories visually is, I would say, uh, with the tree. You know, I think that that is a beautiful piece of imagery, and I think that as you know, Craig and Rob and has said, you know, about getting choked up, etc. I felt like I was like, oh, you know, like. I think there's cheesy moments like, you know, we will protect Paddington and we'll stand by him. And I think in any other film, you would just be like, yeah, whatever, you know, cheesy kind of thing. But because it's such a sincere and like lovable character, the the way that, you know, the, the character is played and he reflects such innocence, I think that it does make those bits more emotional than it would be like in any other kind of like cheesy family movie. But I think that the tree bit actually like sort of really like got a lump in my throat just because I was like, oh, you know, like they're not just going, oh, the family came together, you know, because of Paddington. You know, they're just showing that in a very simple, reflective way, which they put into the script and the visuals as well. But I just like how that we see the petals fall away. We see it, you know, then like flourish again. And I think that this fact you see sort of like wildlife within it, it's just really smart on like Paul King's part, especially because one of the characters is like an illustrator, etc. So it's not it like it doesn't just even come out of nowhere. Like there's a reason for that. And I think that to go with what Craig was saying as well about the importance of messages to children, we were saying about immigration, you said there, Rob, about about a home. I also took away as well the aspect of like the influence somebody can have to encourage people to be themselves. And I think, again, even though it comes across in kind of like typical ways of like oh the kid's going to use his chemistry set to blow open the door and all that kind of stuff but i think that it really shines when you kind of see the house you know going through like the sort of dollhouse again 
in which he's showing like the daughter how to speak beer you know so something like that it isn't just like a lazy writing approach to it of like oh you know he just helps her with a boy or like helps her with her homework you know it's something that's very like peculiar and weird and like a human's just there speaking beer but it's just there's so much charm to it and i think it's done in a, a way of again as we said, that these characters in other movies could be like, oh, but they've grown attached to him because he's such a lovable oaf. He's so dumb. He's so stupid. Or he does the right thing. But no, but here it's genuine that he he does things wrong, but it's nothing that you wouldn't expect of any other kind of like animal or somebody to a new environment. But it's just the actual emotions and vibes and, you know, feelings that Paddington carries with him that changes those characters um, and makes them confident to be themselves. I think that that's a really nice story, especially again with Sally Hawkins' character, because I was watching it thinking this is really refreshing from the point of view of, again, older family movies, which would have just purely focused on Hugh Bonneville. Like, he's the one that has the problem with him. He's the one which we have to focus. He's the dad. He's the male character. I think it was really nice and lovely that she was the character who actually, like, gravitated towards him brought him in encouraged the rest of her family and the fact that she's like an oddball character and they embrace that they don't make fun of it as well i really like that i you know especially at the end where like she sort of hugs the boyfriend of like the the girl none of it is done for laughs it's kind of done for her strengths which i think is great well she's basically the paddington character before paddington comes along right so i've saw i've talked about on this podcast before about one of my favorite techniques of just um, you know, having a flat character and then it's everyone's reaction to that character. It's very clear that she, because they also have that flashback of how she was like a radical before like the baby was born and how both of them were radicals and just, you know, the the motor, uh, motorbike punks. But then because of his severe anxiety about making sure that being a good father and raising the kids right, it was very clear that she was then becoming sort of an oppressed spirit. And she even still tried to keep that idea of like, open-mindedness and freedom but it was very clear that just he was being stifled so just having that secondary force basically just reinforce her as well so that because she also did still have a lot of influence on those characters right she was the one who eventually sort of got through to her daughter and then they had that relationship where she was able to then meet the boy um and then that also the vice versa the fact of the thing that was holding her back was just not having the image of the hero in her mind and just because of all of that work between like between both Paddington being there, but also her trying to get Mr. Brown to see how good Paddington was was for them as a whole, she was then able to like accept and see him as like the hero that she needed. It was all just really well done and just like as you say, just not ever really like forced in forced in face. It was just all natural uh and just all really well really well told. It was actually something that I sort of forgot about on uh, from my first first viewing of the film, just how how smart the actual like story structure of the film ended up actually being. I remembered certain key scenes. I remembered Nicole Kidman as a incredibly weird, jaded person from the past. Of my dad didn't bring back any of any of you as a specimen, so now I'm just going to stuff every unique animal I can find until I'm. I'm considered like up there. It's like, okay, girl, chill. Geographers, turn your back. 
that, that killed it's me. That outlandishness, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that scene also had one of my favourite actors whose name I don't know because I just know him from a load of episodes from uh, Mitchell and Webb. Uh, Jeffrey yeah. Palmer. Is that who you mean? No, Sorry? it's like it's like one of the like younger guy. I think you're talking about the man oh. who actually says turn your pack, but there's like a oh, okay. rant, yeah. like a younger guy, and I know exactly who Craig's on about. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Mitchell and Webb. But yeah, so it, there's so many great British actors in this. Yeah. I think the security I, guard later on, like he was in like Benidorm and stuff, the one who was like drinking. It's it's just fun also, to see that. And also some random appearances of people from the thick of it. And I always enjoy people involved in one of the like highest intensity swearing shows being involved in anything to do with kids. So not just Peter Capaldi, but also you have the guy who plays, I can't remember his surname, but Ben, uh, he appears. I, I think he's like the police officer who's like, well, you're not giving us much to work on. I was just like, I was like, Ben, yay. Yeah, there's there's so many great moments in this film, I think. And that's where it comes into the Britishness as well. You know, I, I think, you know, it's funny with like Matt Lucas and it's that expectation, you know, it's, it's playing with the expectations where Matt Lucas was like, well, it was his first time in the city. So I thought you might want to like tour of London, you know, when you're thinking like, oh, yeah, typical kind of looking at the landmarks, etc. I did have to laugh and react when he was when he said that stereotypical British thing of cheer up, mate, might never happen. I just went. I have two children, a wife, two children, and a fucking bear. Yeah. Of course it's happened for me. <laughs> Shut up. But also I think just, even like just the smaller moments, like when there's, uh, when Nicole Kidman's character comes in and the guards are eating biscuits, and just the fact that they're just playing like a game of like, what are the ingredients? And he's like, sodium conked and all this. I'm just like, this is just so mundane that I kind of love it. Uh, Jamie, have you got any other sort of like favorite moments or like great pieces of comedy? Uh, I mean, the the Simon Farnaby see, scene where Mr. Brown is dressed as the um, as the cleaner is is uh, again there there there's a problematic element to it, but it is still very very funny. But I think because you have to have all these laughs, but when it's the sadder moments, it hits. So that where Paddington is with the Hoovers going up the thing and there's it's almost a bit like with the adventures of Tintin the Spielberg one where he flies through the um the window of the um the plane his, his head's nearly cut off there's there's a bit of like jeopardy that you could see happening and when Paddington accepts that he's about to die yeah it's uh that's that's a moment that always kind of sticks out but then when Mrs Bird opens up the um when she comes out pissed and uh knocks um Oh, and with the pigeons as well. Again, it's those payoffs. We're seeing pigeons like throughout the film, and you think of London, you think of pigeons, and just having those little. Although they're not very uh, convincing-looking pigeons, I'd have liked more kind of convincing-looking pigeons in the film. But again, it's just such a nice little payoff. That whole kind of scene, just you know, where Judy's like, "That's bear!" Oh, yeah, it is great. It, again, it's all that you were saying, Craig, about it being written and. It's all just tying up. And that's what great, you know, Back to the Future, every single line has a payoff to it. And I'm a big uh, Jacques Tati fan. So you're seeing like all these kind of like moments just coming together and it's just so well orchestrated. Yeah, it's just, it's just a master filmmaker. Or, you know, and it's not just him, it's his whole team just putting this together. It's a Herculean effort to make this coherent. 
It also reminded me a lot of um, where we were saying about how, you know, bringing families together and stuff. And I think that that's why it works on those different levels, because it reminded me almost of like pantomime or something like that, in which, you know, the villain is obviously doing very ridiculous things and the families, they all rush in towards them. But it reminded me like a theater performance in the sense of like, you can imagine a parent saying to a child, like, she's got Paddington. And it's like, and they know that like Paddington's going to be okay, but it's kind of like the you know the good and evil the like you know the race to get him i could imagine a kid kind of just being enthralled by that it's not just like oh and let's just have this like you know silly chase scene or this you know crazy antics it's just that like this just very simple situation in which paddington is in danger and children will like be distraught by that you know so they're engaged it doesn't matter what what the situation is it doesn't have to be like on top of big ben or anything like that it's just paddington is in danger you are concerned about Paddington that you know that's the simplicity of it and yeah I did often often watch this and kind of I love the kind of cutaway gags I think that that really works obviously it kind of goes back to the you know sketch comedy kind of like lover in in me but um it works when uh originally when we saw the pigeons that I actually saw laughed again rewatching it of like you see the, a pigeon and then cut back and loads of pigeons. You're like, oh, you know, especially as a Brit, you're like, yes, this this is life. That is what happens. And one of my favorites of that as well was the, again, I, I you know, I burst out laughing watching it was the sandwich with the London guard. You know, I, I was, I forgot about that. And I was like, you know what? I think, I don't think I'll ever watch, look at one of those the same again and not expect a thermos to be underneath that giant hat. Uh, especially as we, I think recently when we had the heat wave, we saw pictures of like people, like people giving them water, etc. because they were so boiling hot. So I hope they didn't have a thermos under there at that time, but um, I'm sure they had an entire picnic ready underneath, underneath the hat for that moment. But, but yeah, Jamie, the the potential dark moments in which you're like, oh my God, is Nicole Kidman's character just died, you know, and she like, but no, she's fine. You know, are the pigeons going to like surround her and kill her, etc. It's It's the way it kind of like plays with your expectations or kind of potential dark comedy. But then Paul King is kind of like, no, I was only joking. I'm not going to do that. But you have um, Paddington talking to God mm. at one point in a kid's film. It's just so, you know, like you wouldn't see that anywhere else just the subtle jokes as well like the last one i would mention is just and this goes again into what we were talking about like with immigration and stuff it's not kind of going at it in a kind of like oh look how stupid look how silly they are effect it's the kind of like oh they just genuinely thought that's what it meant you know that when people say about like oh i thought this sign meant this i thought this food meant this it's just so charming when Panton gets on the escalator and i think the image of him holding the chihuahua is quite you know widely used for the film but just the kind of like, you know, hold dogs and then like, you know, stand to the right. Just like the way it's just great. That's such a great visual gag. Yeah, standing Rock. on one leg. Love yeah, it. I love, love it. it. I love these kind of movies where it doesn't miss a beat. It's, it's as I said before, there's the Mary Poppins effect where it's just, you know, utterly charming and you just don't question any of it. Even, you know, like the, the really sillier bits, like um, Jamie, you mentioned the the when Mr. Brown dresses up as a woman and, you know, there's like, oh, oh, you're a good looking lass, uh, lass, aren't you? And it's like, oh, geez. Oh, OK, here we go. And then pinning him on his arms like, oh, it's a prosthetic arm and, you know, all that stuff. And but then you get you have stuff beforehand, which is, as you've mentioned, David, the the escalators gag, which if I'm completely honest with you. I was once scared of the escalator. So I, I, I think that's just really wonderfully, you know, portrayed in the film and how you 
you resolve that by carrying a dog on one leg and standing to the right. I was, actually, one thing that I would mention as well is, Craig, you mentioned earlier about the Sally Hawkins's performance, and I, I think she's an absolute delight in this film. And I think, in a nutshell, I think she is very much the Michael Bond character, the, the creator as it were you know it's almost self-reflectory of the of the creator um path and how he discovered um paddington which is kind of giving away one of my points my facts for later but essentially what we see in the film is very much how michael bond discovered the inspiration to for paddington so i just think if anything else mrs brown's character is very much a huge reflection on michael bond's character uh, as a creator and as a storyteller so I, I just think that's wonderful to see through sally hawkins's performance and a really nice cameo of him in the film uh, as well. yes that again you know yeah. it's better than most stanley ones mm. yeah just it was just a lovely tip to the hat love it love it i, I think for me and i don't know if um Jamie will agree or not, but I think there comes a point in a film, or at least in a script for me, where you have to have introduced all the key elements. So when you have Nicole Kidman's character introduced half, like 30 minutes in, and she's only in the film for, I think, maybe a total of maybe even 20 minutes, if that, really, total screen time. I, I At times I forgot she was in the film. And when she is on screen, she's she's good. Like, she's not bad but she's not like she's no Cruella de Vil let's put it that way you know and because I, I feel like that's one of the key inspirations for this 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 um character which she's playing but my problem with um her character within the film is the fact that she's introduced quite late into the story because there is a lot to do within this first film which again won't talk about the second but there's a lot to set up in the first film, the world of Paddington, the world of the, the character of Paddington as well. And then to follow up with the antagonist for the film, it's it gets lost along the way. I think, that you know, the film is Paddington for a reason. It's a Paddington movie. It's not Paddington and Nicole Kidman movie, you know. And I forgot that she was in the film. Um, and I, I don't think it also helps that they... they <sighs> They choose a cliche storyline for her to a point where you're like, I, I guess this within the first introduction moment, you know, like of your character. So the the twist and reveal of her being who she is, is, is lost with us. I think for a child, however, it would be a huge, <gasps> you know, but I think for adults like ourselves i mean i say adults like ourselves i'm dressed like someone who robbed the forbidden planet but <laughs> that to one side um it's it's a fairly pre predictable plot and very thin character arc for nicole kidman's character which is not really a shame but it's just something that gets slightly bogged down Anyway, I, I opened the floor. <laughs> I'm just surprised that they chose that kind of villain aspect for this film, whereas they could have easily chosen something which would have been much more on theme, which is like, I'm surprised they didn't have it just be some like ruthless animal control who's just like, no, no animals from outside, especially if they're going to be smuggled in the boats from Peru. 
basically i'm surprised it wasn't just someone like that just so hell-bent on hunting down and just send just sending him away or even just like just sending to some facility as opposed to just because i think that would if you had a character like that it would have made the entire coming together and just seeing uh, embracing paddington as part of the family just much more narratively poignant because as opposed to just she is just trying to kill this bit and i think even if you don't necessarily you know want him as part of the family you probably would just go yeah, killing him's a bit much. Like, hell, even Mr. Curry, who doesn't really like this bear and just sees him as a nuisance, drew the line at, I thought you were going to send him home. Like, I don't want him dead. Like, it. so at that point, I'm surprised that he just didn't go for that. And I think that would have been, like, probably an easier sell. Maybe a more boring sort of villain, but I think it would have actually highlighted the story. Like, Nicole Kidman just, it was just very clear she was just sort of just told to give, okay, we want you to just, try and be like outlandishly evil with regard with regards to this and it's just i'm unsure of how warranted it was it was are you thinking um pretty patel would have been a better antagonist yeah make it real life right like <laughs> i mean also just what a way to have like people actually root root right i mean this is something that that I, even though I've not seen it, this is something that Queen's Corgi had tried to do as well when they were literally just, lol, we're going to make the villain Trump. Um, yeah, screw it. Pretty Patel would have been better. I also imagine that Pretty Patel does often answer the phone to like a ferret instead of the actual phone and mistakenly goes, oh, you know, like maybe like a severed hand or something like that. Maybe that's <laughs> but But yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think that also, you know, again, I, I don't like to be too... When people are talking about like, you know, big casts and stuff like that, you don't want to be like, oh, well, who's the best actor for the job, etc. But it is a bit distracting in the sense it's like an all British cast. And it's meant to be one of those films like celebrates that. And like the Harry Potter franchise always specifically wanted to do that. And then when Fantastic Beasts come out, apart from the other problems of Johnny Depp, people were like, oh, like he stands out a bit now because he's not kind of like of that caliber of what you've had before or sort of matching the ethnicity of the character and I feel Nicole Kidman as a kind of like American Australian sort of actress also doesn't quite fit into the cast in that way and again I'm not saying that somebody else could have made that work or maybe further down in other films but I think because the Britishness is such a big aspect I think they could have made that work and what you're saying there Craig I think you know a good solution is to kind of Shrek to it in a way is to make the father more of the villain and actually turn around and be like oh no you know like he's set the animal control on Paddington and he's a bit more of the villain and then he actually has to come around and you know stop the force that he's started. Okay, so take those cassettes, rewind them, and play them again, because it's VHS Corner. So this week, we asked Rob if he'd be willing to dive into some of the facts behind the film uh, and tell us some interesting trivia about both this film and probably Paddington uh, as a wider concept. So, Rob, take it away. Yeah, sure. So let's uh, start with probably the most obvious one that... um... I think most people probably know is that uh, Ben Whishaw was not originally supposed to be Paddington Bear. It was Nicolas Cage. No, I'm joking. Um, Although, could you imagine? Oh my God. Uh, No, it would have been horrendous, obviously. Um, Colin Firth was originally cast as uh, Paddington, but was then replaced by Ben Whishaw. Um, And quote unquote, he was much too handsome and an older voice 
to be Paddington, which I kind of agree. So uh, that's fact number one. Uh, fact number two, um, probably no surprise. Um, marmalade and orange sales went up to uh, due to the success of this film. And it was also the most Googled recipe in 2014. How to make your own marmalade. Who would have thought? I'm, I'm surprised we didn't even mention that in uh, most of our discussion about the marmalade sandwiches and keeping it in your hat and always having a, an important one for the occasion. Uh, did you know that um, there was a writer involved, an Academy Award writer involved in this, but they did a once-over of the script? Uh, Emma Thompson uh, did a once-over of the script, and that's why she has a special thanks in the credits. So she looked over and just was like, yep, yeah, this is British enough, we will move forward with this. Uh, I imagine is what she probably said. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So, uh, Nicole Kidman... We've brought her up quite a few times already. Um, she is a huge fan of Michael Bond's books, uh, particularly one called Paddington Bear or the a, a bear called Paddington. Uh, and she also learnt taxidermy and knife throwing for the role uh, in this film. However, all of those scenes in which she shows that off were cut because <laughs> they were deemed... Too serious for a kid's movie, which I could totally imagine. Although that one moment where she throws the knife on her dad's face is kind of... Uh, was it on her dad's face or was it on the bear? I can't remember. It was one of those ones. I was about to say they all look alike, but they don't. Um, right. <laughs> there was once a, a controversy uh, with Paddington um, where Paddington fans were outraged by a particular advert. Does anyone want to guess why that was? Was he advertising Marmite? <gasps> you are correct. He was. He was advertising Marmite instead of Marmalade. And Paddington fans were like, this is an outrage. We want our Paddingtons to be eating Marmalade, not Marmite. It is unacceptable. But alas, money came through and, you know, royalties and all that stuff came through. So money talks. So that bear eats Marmite for the dollar. So there you go. Um... There is also an interesting history with um, Jeremy Clarkson and his family. Now, according to this connection, um, they uh, his family were the ones that manufactured the, the bears of Paddington, and so he actually owns one of the first original um, like uh, manufactured bears of Paddington. Um, so that's Jeremy Clarkson, and I believe it's his aunt who was part of the um, the factory as well. Last but not least, um, we mentioned the man already and I mentioned kind of the fact already as well, but Michael Bond, a former BBC camera operator for BBC's uh, Blue Peter, um, discovered a bear uh, in a toy shop inside Selfridges and he gave it to his wife for Christmas. It was just one standalone bear, all on its own, literally the only one left on the shelf. He got it for his wife for Christmas, uh, but was so inspired by the fact that he found this very lost, soulless bear on on the shelf that he then decided to put pen to paper and created a story about an immigrant bear comes to UK, a bear called Paddington. Those are the facts. Uh, great facts, Rob. I think just go back to uh, Colin Firth, where, yeah... It it'd be interesting to hear what his voice track was because they had recorded quite a lot of it, I think. And it was just sounding too 50-year-old man. And yeah, it would be really interesting just to kind of do a side-by-side -side and see how different the tone is. 
Yeah, that was one of the things that sort of gave me faith about the project originally, though. I was like, okay, they understand this again. It's not like, I thought about this when watching the film. Just sorry to like put this nightmare in your minds, but imagine if James Corden had voiced oh, Paddington. Good you know, Lord. Like this is, you know, like, I was just thinking of how this could have gone wrong. And I mean, it did happen. It's called Peter Rabbit. Oh, true, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it, yeah, so in the sense of, when, or even like an American actor or something like that, um, when I was looking at this on uh, IMDb, it came up with, you know, what, uh, IMDb shows or something. And Freddie Highmore was there. And I was just like, you know, they could have easily done something like that. Being like, oh, yeah, this like, you know, like child actor or, you know, like older young actor, which they could have had. But I think it was, it was best to sort of keep it British. And I think that it's shown as well in the sense that Ben Whishaw has gone on to kind of play similar roles that he was in Mary, Mary Poppins Returns. Um, and yeah, he just has such like a charm and sincerity to him. I think he, he did end up being perfect for the role, especially, you know, I always loved him as soon as he was like, uh, Q in the Bond films. So I think that, you know, that was a really good choice as, as far as the Marmite thing, I can't even imagine Paddington would like Marmite. So I think that's what was the mistake in, in that marketing choice there. So, uh, yeah, well, awesome facts there. Thank you, Rob. And, uh, yeah, all adds to the legacy and uh, interesting elements of this film. So uh, that brings us on to our final part, which is just wrapping up our discussion of the film and asking, does Paddington deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honour of a place in our movie vault? So for anybody who's trying to sort of think about, you know, what is the purpose of the vault? I guess you can see it in a world in which possibly these films might all exist in the future, but it's kind of like a time capsule. If somebody used to dig this up and you wanted to teach people about good and bad films, you know, should Paddington be there to sort of represent an era or element of cinema? Uh, Jamie, I guess by your admission that you think this is a perfect film, I, I, I guess I can guess your answer, but... <laughs> so, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, please, please put it in. Rob, do you have any opinions on the film that will not be mentioned is this going to kind of go down oh well we've already admitted there's potentially a, a better you know sequel or do you think it's like oh well that one is so loved that you need to complete the duo or because you had i suppose problems with the film does, does that make it go down enough that it doesn't deserve its place what do you think dude why are you trying to create a comparison with a film that we by our own admission aren't allowed to talk about yet <laughs> I'm only referring to your expectation of these films, whether they go in the vault, to be fair, Craig. <laughs> I, I have long said I'm happy to just put films in I like. It is you who's just like, oh, no, they have to represent a No, they no, have no, to but represent you, you, did, you did say last week after, or like last time after the record, you were like, hmm, I think yeah, the first one the might record, not go. Yeah, off the record, David. <laughs> well, I was trying to be coy about it, but yes. Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, I... I... I, I will accept the first thing that you said, which is the duo thing. You know, you you have to have... You can't have one without the other, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, we will discuss later uh, about said film. But I think this is, as we mentioned a few times already, it's, it's, it's like the Mary Poppins effect. It's, you know, it's practically perfect in every way. You know, it's always nice to have a spoonful of sugar to let the medicine go down. And this is the epitome of it. And it's what I love about this particular film, which um, I didn't realise until I watched it maybe now for the... This is probably the fifth time I've watched it because it's become like a, a, a one, of, <laughs> one of the two films in question um, that we watch at Christmas now. 
we either go for the first or we go for a second or we go for something else entirely you know because this can be classified as a christmas movie because towards the end of course but the ele- the the attention to detail that this film has is really astonishing and we've mentioned this earlier like it doesn't miss a beat um in terms of its story or its comedic beats you know and i i think craft for film and filmmaking and storytelling has to be commended and it has to be preserved so yeah this film has to be in the vault for that reason alone and uh, Craig, I suppose you've already potentially given away your feelings previously. But, no, uh, I haven't. You are oh. misquoting me off the record, David. <laughs> no, not the off the record thing. I'm on about like your rant before Rob's m- mentioning, but yeah. Look, when it comes to kids' films, I just ask myself a, a, a simple question. Would I actively encourage any children that I have to watch this film? And the answer is yes, at which point I think it needs to go in the vault. Awesome. Well, yeah, and I think... To not go with, you know, what we were saying about, like, representing certain things or certain eras. I would also say, you know, similar to what Rob said in terms of, like, it is nice to keep the set together. But also I think that there would be films out there in which you could make that case. Uh, something that I think there's probably better examples. But my example in my mind is something like the old Adams Family's films. As great as they are, you could still enjoy f- uh, family values for the same elements that the first film works and you know you don't need that first film you understand what the Adams family are and I think the same could be said with Paddington you understand what Paddington is but I think that this film does such a great job of kind of like as you said Rob also like the Batman-esque of like you know here's the coat here's the hat and add in such weight and emotion to that that you need it there for the story purpose but also just about like as we said and as Craig said is about teaching children these important lessons and how they can carry that through to the next film but also in terms of filmmaking for Paul King as well that you can see what you know he's kind of experimenting with here and his strengths as a filmmaker and the beautiful imagery he's able to do so I think that yeah for that alone I think it's it's worthy of going into the vault so as we all are unanimous into the Vault goes Paddington from 2014. Uh, if you haven't checked out Paddington yet, go check it out. Uh, I didn't mention it last episode, but it is on like every streaming service there is. Uh, so it is a very accessible film. I think uh, Studio Canal wants you to see this film. It's uh, it's on all of the streaming services, all the major ones anyway. Yeah, let us know if there's any films that you would want to see discussed in the future. Um, or if you disagree, if you've got a controversial thought on Paddington, let us know. And uh, obviously we'll be discussing uh, the sequel in the future. More about that at the end of the episode. But now let's go to our final part, which is our endgame. We're in the endgame now. <laughs> okay, endgame time. This is a game simply called And the Story Goes On. Because we've alluded to several times throughout this episode that there is a much more successful and popular sequel to this film. Um, And it got me thinking that what I'd like to do is sort of like the bridge between this episode and the next episode is an endgame all about sequels. So what I've done is I've taken the name of various films, which are sequels to another film. um, And basically I've removed any reference to the to the first film. Right. So for example, Uh, If I were to give you the word Maverick, the original film you're looking for is... Hot Shots. Or... Yeah, Top Top Gun. Gun. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, that's what I've done. So basically, I've removed any reference 
uh, of the original film title that might be in the sequel title. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you those titles and I want you in quick fire succession uh, to basically say what the film is. Basically, the way this will work is this. Uh, I want you to basically, as your buzzer, just say me. So, Rob, let's test your buzzer. Me. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Jamie? Me. Okay. They sound slightly similar. So, um... I'll do... I'll, I can do moi. Okay, oh, I, we'll, I, I we'll could do that. a meh. Uh, do it... <laughs> a Rob could do it in a London way. You know, we're talking about London being such... You know, he's a Londoner. <laughs> mate. <laughs> mate. Mate. Okay. Um, I mean, whatever at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the prize you're going to be playing for is going to be a little bit different this time. So we've, in previous episodes, have been playing for the opportunity to choose what the episode, uh, what the next episode will be focused on. Obviously, we know what that's going to be. We know it's going to be Paddington 2. So we can stop talking about it in some like weird, coded, horrific way of keep this out of keep this out of our mouths. So instead, what you'll be playing for is the opportunity to add a film to our sort of potluck collection. So for those of at home who have never heard about this, as I never heard about it until we came up to this episode, David has been collating the uh, the films uh, of various guests who did not get the opportunity uh, to have it discussed because they lost their episode, uh, they lost their end games, or they didn't get their films, uh, or they didn't choose their own films, for example. And there are going to be times in the future where we might have episodes where we basically dip into the potluck and pull out some films. This will be your opportunity to add films to that list. We'll find out what you want to choose once we know the winner of this game. So, Rob and Jamie, are you ready? Meh. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's going to be one of those games. Yes. Okay, and David, if you can please keep the score. Oh, also, important caveat. Some of these titles will also have or also meant to have two in them. I've removed the two. I've removed the numbers because otherwise I could easily get away with just going uh, question six, two. Right. Okay. So number one, the quickening. Oh, five, four, three, two. One. That's our first timeout. Uh, David, do you remember this? Because this was in one of the uh, Endgame specials. Uh, it does ring a bell. Oh, uh, the, this is notoriously it, oh, one of Highlander the, or something. It it is indeed. Oh, Highlander. Oh, yeah. It's notoriously one of the worst sequels ever made. Right. Apparently. Uh, so it's Highlander Two: The Quickening. Question two. Breaks the internet. Wreck it, Ralph. Oh, Jamie. Oh. <laughs> or <laughs> neither of those things is the thing I said. But did Jamie get it right? Yeah, yeah it's Wreck it, Ralph. Oh, sorry. The the adrenaline just went through. No, me. fair play, fair play. You got there. Okay, number three. But for some reason, my notes has changed it to four. I don't know why. Twenty forty nine. Meh. Um, Blade Runner. It's indeed Blade Runner. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it, when you don't, when you, you're not the. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that will happen a lot during this game. Okay, number four, Son of. Oh. 
five, four, three, two, one. That's a timeout. David? No. The mask? Son of the mask. God damn it. I <laughs> knew it. <laughs> I was trying to think of it, what it was. Oh, that's another annoying. sequel, which is incredibly awful. It is the worst. Is that Number with five. Alan Cumming, is it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, yeah I as that. Loki. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a bad film. Number five. Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, Jamie, yes, me. Uh, Mad Max. <laughs> Jesus, why can't I do that? <laughs> I want to see that like on pointless or something like Jamie me <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not it's a good thing I'm not all that strict with how I want this off okay next up live free or meh uh, die well, hard live free or die hard I saw that in the cinema completely regretted it oof Ironically, that was on the list of some one of the better sequels. Oh, really? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. But then they, they they also did compare it to A Good Day to Die Hard. So. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yippee-ki-yay, Mother Russia. You made a weird sentence with that as well. It was like, meh, Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Down Under. Jamie. Me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am Jamie. Is it Crocodile on me? No, it's not, is it? I got it wrong. What was... Oh, sorry. Rob, uh, any suggestion? Can you repeat the title? Is that all right? Down Under. Uh, no, no, no. The Rescuers. Oh, uh, the other course. Disney Mouse film. Course. We talked about Sherlock yeah. <laughs> Basil last people, time. Do wrong. people usually do well on this game or... Honestly, at the point where you've scored points, you're doing better than quite a few people. Okay. All right, so we're, we're good. We're good. I'll take that. We're good. Yeah, yeah we'll fine. take that. Call it a draw. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up. Judgment Day. Yeah. A Terminator. That was indeed Terminator. I had to get that one. I had to get okay. that one. Next up. Lost in San Francisco. <gasps> oh. Bollocks. Oh. <laughs> we have to accept your first answer. <laughs> <laughs> was, that was your buzzer, wasn't it? Come on, we're waiting for the answer. <laughs> Meh. No, I've got it wrong. I'm just about to guess the wrong film. Um. Uh, well, something would be nice. Oh uh, no, I'm gonna go with. <sighs> Say it. I can't remember the. F- Film. I actually had it on my tongue. I've lost it. No, I lost I'm it. I'm timing this out. <sighs> Jamie, any idea? I actually had it. Lost in San Francisco. Oh, I don't know. Is it Lost in Translation 2? <laughs> That's an amazing. Homeward Bound. Homeward that bound. was Homeward it. Bound. So I was trying to remember dogs the dogs. So much. Oh, yeah. oh, you were trying to remember Chaz, Shadow. I literally. Yeah, Chaz and Shadow. I saw the golden retriever and I thought, oh, though I kind of want lost in translation oh, so do I. To, to be a thing. So I do I. That, yeah, That's what he whispered in, in uh, her ear at the end. I'll meet you over there. Are you ready for number 10? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> number 10. Uh, me. Jamie. Alien. Oh, yes. come wow. on. Uh, <laughs> oh, son that is my favourite one. <laughs> I, was, I was like, did my mic just... Like, oh. I was like, yeah, 
I thought I literally removed all reference to the original, so I left the letter S. Well done, Jamie. Wow. <laughs> right. Next up. Simba's Pride. Me. Me. <gasps> that was Jamie. <sighs> Lion King. Indeed. My hands Lion are King. so sweaty. Why? <laughs> 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 All right. Next up. The next. Uh, Me. Rob. Star Trek. Oh, damn it. Not what I'm looking for. Uh, the next Virgin Suicides. Stick on a um, Sophia Coppola trend. David? Is it the Karate Kid? Oh. The next Karate mm. Kid. I knew it was one of those kind of like goofy kids films they milked. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we're going back to another year, 1984. Mayor, Jamie. Jamie. What? Uh, I don't know. Red Riding. So remind me. The the answer is. Sorry, not the answer. Uh, the, the, the clue. Sorry. That was a nice way to trick yeah. me there. <laughs> Nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Um. Oh, uh, Mayor. Wonder Woman. Yeah. I was like, Rob, come on. <laughs> Sorry, I was surprised it took that long. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, to be honest with you, like, I, I'm trying to erase that movie from... No, I'm joking. I like that film. I like that film. I'm joking. <laughs> I guess it's a fran- It's kind of a franchise in itself that the standalone... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've got two left. Next up. All-American Girl. Five, four, three... Two, Meh. one. Oh, just in time, Rob. I thought by doing that it might hold me a few more seconds. Uh, no, I'm gonna go. No, no, I, 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 I do have a guess. I do. It's a terrible guess, but American Pie. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I was thinking the same. To be fair, um, Miss Congeniality. Oh God, is that right? <laughs> You were nowhere near, although technically, with the name American Pie, you were very close. It's American Psycho. Ah. Oh, of course. Yeah, the one with um, Mila Kunis, isn't it, in the sequel? Is that is that who it is, isn't it? I think. It might be. Yeah, um, I've heard I about haven't... it. Yeah, I've heard about the film. Okay. And now we go into the final question. Are you ready? Yeah. I couldn't have a sequel game without this film, but it's Electric Boogaloo. Yes, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Yep, go for it. Uh, oh, sh- oh, 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 no. Is it? Oh, my God. Uh, is it Juice Bigelow? No. No. Oh. I literally had it on the cross of my tongue and now I'm, I've forgotten it, which is really annoying. There are people going to be screaming at me now. That's just in your head. Yeah, <laughs> that's just I, this my is mind. why I had to include it because this is the most memed uh, sequel title of all time. I would have thought too fast, too furious, but um... <laughs> no, uh, honestly, it's this. Basically, I'll explain the meme later, but I, I'm going to have to pass. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a film called Breaking. Right. Okay. It's called Breaking Two. <laughs> well, I mean, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, obviously, the full title is Breaking Two: Electric Boom. Right. Okay. Essentially, when people made 
uh, made jokes on Reddit for a while of any films that would have unnecessary uh, sequels. They would always jokingly call those sequels like whatever to Electric Boogaloo. I think that's why everyone was so quick to it because they almost wanted to say some of the memes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that is the end of the game. So, David, what are the final scores? So it's four all. <gasps> oh! oh! A tie. Oh, God. So... This is going to be fastest first. Oh no! Have I have I prepared for this? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. No, I've got I've got one. Oh. Okay. This is going to literally be quickest first. The quest for peace. Meh. Rob. Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. Uh, Superman. Oh, of course. Superman oh, 4, The Quest for Peace. Oh. And in that stunning upset victory, Jamie has taken the win. Congratulations. I'd like to thank. Rob, are you okay? Mate, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what I was thinking of? Do you know what I was thinking of? It was the one where... The journey home was... Uh, no, journey, that's, yeah, no it's, uh, the, it's the final oh, frontier yeah. when they meet God. Right. And you're just, oh, because, oh, God. Damn it. I can't believe I lost a film <laughs> quiz to Superman 4, The Quest yeah. for Peace. So it, we, it was, oh, it was on the wall God. when Wonder Woman, when it took that long, you know, as DC um, was going to get you. make it worse, I've not even seen it. So if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. You Is need to watch it Richard as well. Like, in it? That's the no. third one. That's the third one. Yeah, that's the third one. Awesome. Well done, Jamie. So uh, what is your uh, recommendation for a film that we might look at in the future when it goes to our stack of uh, films that have been suggested but have not won? In this case, it has won. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking um, Werewolves Within. Okay. Um, just for something that's quite meta, very kind of knows what it is and is just also a lot of fun. I think otherwise I would just go for something quite bleak and depressing like vera drake or something so i think werewolves within might be a good a good place to go awesome right well uh we hopefully plan to use our stack in the future people will find out where this might come into play and uh, we might have previously recommended films that will come up so thank you for adding that to its list jamie and uh well done on today's win of the end game but yeah so uh, it's been a great episode talking about paddington uh thank you both for joining us um and yeah, Jamie, so uh, tell us where can the people find you, your socials, any projects you've got going on, uh, where should the people go? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Milligan. I was the first in there. And um, Millie Snap on Instagram. And yeah, just, just writing and hopefully get a couple of projects going later this year. Just comes down to money. So if anyone wants to give me money. I can drop my um, sort code and account number in the um, episode description. I assume that's fine to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, come and, come and follow me. Come and find me. And, um, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Pleasure having you. Thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people can go fund Lost in Translation 2, uh, Lost in San Francisco. <laughs> um, Rob, what about yourself? Where can uh, 
the people find you? What have you been up to? What have you got coming up, which uh, you sort of alluded to at the beginning? Uh, yeah, so I am Rob Ailing. I'm a writer and director. And what I've got coming up right now is I have an unpublished um, Batman screenplay called Enigma, a Batman story, which is now doing the festival circuit run. I have just completed and has... Uh, have a film released called The Impact, which is a record-breaking uh, feature film involving 30-plus directors and 40-plus screenwriters. And I will be directing my first ever play uh, in October. Uh, it is Patrick Hamilton's Rope under the Horse's Head Theatre. Um, I believe that is a reference to The Godfather, so um, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, that will be happening in October. So um, you can follow me on twitter at rob ailing film or on instagram at rob ailing to find out more details and see the progressions of those productions that i've just mentioned awesome yeah we'll go check them out uh, thank you as well rob for joining us and of course uh, we will be returning uh, in september now for our part two to this discussion talking about paddington 2 so probably couldn't have appeared in that end game. Uh, and you are both more than welcome to join us once again uh, for that uh, in any sort of way that you can, uh, whether it just be sort of notes you might have about it uh, or a message. But uh, we'll be happy to have you back on a guest as if you do wish to speak about the film that shall not be named, uh, as I suppose we alluded to it so many times. Um, so you're welcome to come back to that. But yeah, for people at home, uh, we are now going to have a summer break uh, this is our last episode before we go away for a few weeks um, and have a bit of a holiday. Uh, we've gone through a big chain of movies now for the past uh, few months and uh, it's a good time for us to collect our thoughts and uh, get back to it uh, later in the year when we're able to have all the fun of Halloween, Christmas, uh, November, whatever you want to allocate that as, you know, post-Halloween, bonfire night pre-Christmas <laughs> we've got lots of fun episodes coming up and um yeah very fun uh, ideas and exciting to see where Paddington 2 will lead us especially before Halloween <laughs> that is what I'm most uh, anticipating so yeah we'll be going for a few weeks but look around for us to come back around the 20th of September where we'll be talking about Paddington 2 uh so yeah, we teased you enough there talking about this unnamed film. So if you want to know our thoughts on it, we might have kind of given it away. Uh, but as I'm sure you'll all want to sort of discuss it with us, check that out in a few weeks' time. Uh, so we hope you all have a good summer yourselves. If you do want to check out Panton 2 in the meantime, like Paddington, it is on pretty much most streaming services. You can rent it, you can get it on 4K even. So uh, yeah, go check it out before our discussion so you can get involved in the conversation. Craig, anything lastly from yourself, uh, especially before our summer break? I'm off to Croatia. See you, schmucks. <laughs> oh, no, he's lost in San Francisco. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you both for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to discussing Panton 2 next time. See you in the next one. Bye-bye. Have a good summer. Good day to Bye. you. Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. 
And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.